Morning, church. So good to be with you this morning. Um, my heart is full and processing a lot. Uh, it has been a week, and I'm just, I cherish this, really this moment that I get to have with you and share what's on my heart and hopefully what's on the heart of Jesus. And so I hope that today, so far, you've been blessed um, with fellowship and with worship. That new song was ministering to me. There is honey in the rock. Man, we need that right now. We're talking, we're singing about a living well. I feel like there's things that are going on that are more than just the physical. There's things happening in the spiritual. So many connections are being made. And although, you know, we face trials and challenges, I feel like God uses all of it to propel us into what he has for us as a church. And so it's a gift to be with you this morning. We're going to jump in with just uh, the teaching text for this morning. It's found in Matthew 28. Let's jump into this, and then we'll pray, and we'll, we'll jump in. Matthew 28, verse 18 says this. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you as children. We thank you that your name is, it's not, Father is not just your name, it's our relationship. And so we come as children, we, and that also implies that we come innocent, we come trusting, we, tr we, we come underneath your authority. And so thank you for your presence today. Thank you for ministering to us today. Thank you for focusing our hearts on what matters most. Would you fill our tanks with hope? Paul calls you the God of hope. And so we declare your hope in this place, your peace in this place. We pray for fun. <laughs> we pray for joy and delight, enjoyment, but also sobriety for the serious work of what it means to be light bearers in a dark place. And so win our hearts for what you have in store for your work and life for us. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 We as a church, as we've been talking about, are at the beginning of a very significant and incredible shift. Uh, we believe that God is very intentionally calling us into something significant. He's, I think he's inviting us, and you've heard me use this language before, he's inviting us to stop living out of our cultural and personal issues and to start living from our kingdom identity and calling. I don't know if that just comes off. Maybe that's just like, yes, this is the language that's speaking to my heart. Maybe that's like, that's Christianese. I don't even know what you're saying. But we endeavor as a church to bring about um, clarity in what it looks like for us to step into who we really are. The world has an agenda. The world has a script for us to read. But we have a true identity that echoes into eternity that God is inviting us into and a calling and a purpose that goes along with that, that has very, very real implications, as big as 
maybe things that, that affect society and as important and as personal as just raising our children well. Identity and calling. So what is our identity? What is our identity? If I were to ask you, what is our identity as a church? We are that. We're the church. We're the ecclesia. We're the people of God. This seems normal. I'm like, I think of it. It's like people of God, yes. But actually, we get to be the representatives of the creator of the world. We are the people of God. Let's have a fresh revelation to these these realities. We're a royal priesthood. We look back through the scriptures. God had this intention to bring about a royal priesthood, a people. Throughout the scriptures, we see God's faithfulness in the midst of our brokenness and our lack of faith, bringing us into our true identity as a royal priesthood. And we're actually even more than that. We're called the bride of Christ in union with the creator and king of all things. And we also have a calling. Everyone say calling. Calling. And our calling is is beautiful. And one of the things I like to talk about when I I refer, when I think about calling, it is purpose, but maybe even more particularly, it's to Edenize the world. It's to bring us back to God's original reality and his original intent with Eden before brokenness and corruption and sin invaded that place. It's to re-Edenize the world. And so how does, that, how does that work? It sounds like, okay, that sounds almost ethereal. What is this theological term of Edenizing? Well, this is what we're here to talk about today, and it's, and it's particularly found in this word of discipleship. We are called to be disciple makers, as Jesus commands in Matthew 28. And I, I believe this with all my heart, church. If we can step into the fullness of our identity and live out our calling by God's grace, I promise you fruit and flourishing will spring up out of even the darkest places, out of even the driest places. We're having a little bit of a water issue today. I know some of you guys heard our well is just not cooperating. It's been, I've been wrestling with this well all weekend. And I feel a little beat up, to be honest. Just no water, no water for my family, no water for my family. And I'm like, Lord, why? And I feel like it's actually a microcosm of some other things that are going on, maybe in our society, maybe in our marriages, maybe in our families. There's a dryness that God wants to fix maybe even in my own heart. We've come here, we, we've come here to give our life to this community and we believe in it. And sometimes I feel like there's a spring and it's like, we can do this so easily. And there's other times like, mm, I'm just, I'm, my mouth is parched. Lord, I need your living water. And then here we are with the well shutting off. And before I even like, early in the, in the week on Monday, I was praying and I, and I was researching for this message, Lord, what do you have for us? And I came across this idea of, of dryness even before. And so I find this interesting. It might be a motif for us to uh, keep our, our, our eyes on. There is a fruit and flourishing that God has for us, and I believe with all my heart, even coming from the most dry places. And uh, 
I don't know how your week's been. I don't know how your life is right now. Maybe you can relate to some dryness. It's like, I just need a little, I just feel stuck. Rachel and I have been trying to fix our backyard and just make it more livable and just want it. We want to be back there more. So we've been working on the backyard a lot. And newsflash, we live in Texas and the ground is extremely hard and dry. And it's like, oh my gosh, can anything come from this ground? Can anything grow in this rocky, like, desert ground? Like, this is terrible. It's a, that's cactus, it's true. And so I, I do think that there is, a, there is something to be said about this for our church. Just track with me. In fact, there's a place in Chile that has been recorded as the driest place on the planet, all right? This is called the Atacama Desert. This is the driest, one of the driest places in the world. And so I have a picture, put that up. Who wants to have their next vacation there? Not me. (laughs) Terrible. It looks even worse than my backyard. So, so dry. It doesn't rain, basically, ever. Basically. And it's so dry, in fact, it's so harsh of an environment that NASA and astrobiologists, that's a thing, do testing there to help them get a better idea of like what the terrain and the environment might be like on Mars. It's this dry. And so just picture that, right? Just do not want to go there. Some, some of you guys are kind of freaky and you would want to go run there or something. But... Most people, it's like, no, this is, this is desert. We don't want anything here. But what's wild, what's so incredible about this is that there has actually been documented that there's over 200 different types of plants, these varieties of plants and flowers buried underneath this dry, desolate ground. And every now and then, the climate, it shifts. And there's this outpouring of rain that then floods the valley. And as a result, all of those seeds, all of that, the varieties of flowers, they germinate and they begin to grow. And they come out of the ground and then they pollinate and then they multiply. Right there in the middle of this desert, there is this thing called a super bloom. They call it a super bloom. So hundreds of varieties of flowers and plants in the middle of this desert pierce their head out of this dry ground, multiplying millions upon millions and millions and millions of of flowers. Look how lush that is. And these flowers, they they multiply and they they cross-pollinate and then it can expands out all to where the environment allows, where there's water. And additionally, these these plants and these flowers, they're facing what? They're facing the sun. They're facing the light. There's a lot of parallels, I think, and I find this, this illustration really powerful because I think it's a picture of what God wants to tell us right now. Right now, today, and in this season, I feel like God has something so significant, and he's prophesying to his people, look what's possible when the environment is right. There is multiplication that is available. God speaks so often through his creation. Anyone just love God's creation? 
just like refreshes your soul. It almost like recalibrates you. It's like, I'm just more balanced, right? Just being out in God's nature and he's just touching our hearts, soothing our souls, speaking to our mind and our heart. And friends, when we, when we walk in the ways of Jesus, this is the point, the climate shifts. Not when we just believe certain things, not when we just attend church once a week, but when we follow the ways of Jesus, the climate shifts. And new life and growth come alive. The atmosphere shifts. And heaven begins to pour out its rain and its resources. And seeds that have been dormant for years, buried underneath the dry ground, become alive and multiplication takes place. You know, many of you guys in this room have seeds that are planted in you. Tag students, I'm looking at you. There are seeds that have been planted in you week after week, tag camp. Many of you guys have been, you know, have had an example or an, an occasion where you're like struck by the gospel. <laughs> Maybe it was at tag camp. Maybe it was at some youth group, right? Maybe it was when you were a child. Maybe it was an aunt or a grandma or your parent who was speaking life over you, speaking the king, Jesus, over you, and it got, got implanted with truth. These seeds, right? Maybe it happened just in the last couple years. Maybe it's happened this past week, praise God. <laughs> I wonder if I could just, what if I just like got that on, like I just push that button every time I make a point. It's like, <laughs> it's a good point. You have seeds in your heart and they've been planted and they're there. <laughs> And many of you guys have memories. If you think about it long enough, it's like, I have a memory of the, of the truth of the gospel that's just been implanted. I had this occasion where I felt like God just sovereignly worked or he sovereignly saved me. I could have died. Gospel, kingdom. You have these events take place, but what happens is they sort of become dormant in us. And, I, and if I can be so bold, and I say this humbly because I'm right there with you, many of us have these seeds and then we're, just, they're just live, we're just living life with Seeds from heaven then are just totally dormant. Just totally dormant. And then we wonder why we, we, we live powerless. And then we wonder why we, we, have, we have a lack of hope and we're numb. It's because they're, they're dormant. So they're not bringing the flowers. They're not bringing the fruit and the color. Many of us are living in a gray world, spiritually. And so God is like, let me just show you what's possible. Look at the color and the beauty and the energy and the multiplication that is available for your life. I want this. <laughs> and so the question is, how do we shift the atmosphere? What in our church culture needs to happen? So Jesus prayed, Father, may your kingdom come, your will be done. Sorry. I'm trying to explain what I'm feeling here. <clears throat> this is not just a churchy verse. This is what God bled on the cross for. 
May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so many of us in this church, so many of us in this world, we just don't live with the true power and, and living in the promise of this. And it, and it breaks my heart. And this happens, however, God is saying this can happen if you follow in the ways of my son, if you follow in the ways of Jesus. And it's more than just churchy stuff. And I'm not trying to relegate church because church is the bride of Christ. But there is a version that's sort of kind of been rendered vanilla <laughs> and kind of powerless. God is, is pointing at something so much more significant. And so we follow in the ways of Jesus and heaven comes. And so for us as one chapel, thank you, as one chapel and as a church, as a family, as a community, this will happen through cultivating and becoming a culture of this. It's disciple making. Disciple making. And maybe you hear that term, you're just like, I don't really even, like, okay, like, making disciples, okay. Or maybe you're like, yes, this is what the church needs. I'm on fire for this idea, let's go. Or maybe you're in between, I'm not sure. But I am utterly convinced, as convinced as I am about just the gospel itself, is that disciple making is what shifts the atmosphere for heaven to pour out. And I think it's, we think, like, I think, oh, if I just get a big enough community, and we just have the great events and the programs and the kids' ministry, all this stuff. And it's like, yes, I, those are great things. But it won't transform lives without disciple-making. Disciple-making, it's profound. Disciple-making is, I wrote this, disciple-making is the divine infrastructure for heaven and the kingdom of God to pour out onto our dry land. It's like, okay, how does heaven pour out? It's like, this is the infrastructure, Go and make disciples. And if we do this, friends, it will change everything, I promise you. It will change everything. Let's read Matthew 28 again. Matthew 28, verse 18. Love this passage. I grew up on this passage. I love this passage so much. It says this, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus flexing a little bit. Therefore, in light of what I just said, go and make disciples. And so it's interesting he doesn't say, therefore, don't do anything. <laughs> he says, therefore, go. And, he, and it's also interesting that he doesn't say, therefore, go and be disciples. Kind of would make sense. But he says, go and make disciples. What does that tell us? It's a clue. To truly be a disciple, you have to be a disciple maker. Go and make disciples of all nations. This is all people groups. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Not just the, the nice things, but the hard things too. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so... Many of us grew up on this, this passage like I did, and it's, you're maybe really familiar with it, right? Some of us, I think, sometimes when what, what I confront as a pastor, it's like, 
I confront the mechanism of religion. It's like when you ask me a question and, or I ask a question or a question is, is asked and then we just kind of know the answer and then we just get numb to that because it just becomes so ritualistic. Are you following me? And so we get, we got to kind of get numb and it becomes ordinary. And so it's just like religion kind of makes, it robs the power out of the scriptures sometimes. And so I want us to re, to like, I don't know, not re-inject, but just wake ourselves up to the beauty of this passage. It's not just like a familiar old text from an old book. This is a clue. This is a cosmic clue on how to see the heavens open up, see heaven invade earth. And even more than that, this is called, many of you guys know this, but it's the Great Commission. It's the Great Commission from the King and Creator of the universe. And so this is how we change the atmosphere, we cooperate with the Spirit to breathe new life, and literally to start to terraform our hearts, our marriages, our families, and our society. And terraform, I mean to like, just make it to be life-giving. Not Mars, but Eden. And then we could see this super bloom, and it's not just a cool illustration, but a reality that we stand on. A super bloom take place in our hearts. And there's a reason why I believe that the Holy Spirit, he's not just like floating, ethereal kind of thing. He's decided to inhabit our hearts. Why our hearts? We're the temple of God, and he wants to start new creation, super bloom in our own hearts, and then pour it out to each other and to the world. Let it happen first in our own hearts, God. Let it happen first in our own church. And let us come out and make disciples and pour out heaven. Friends, the kingdom of God is inbreaking. I want to be a part of it. Go and make disciples, disciple making. And so, you know, I, I, we've been processing this. How do we put language to this, this thing that God is kind of pressing on in his leadership? And so we just believe that God is saying it's time to dream again. <laughs> it's time to dream again. And sitting at the center of this dream is this core vision that we would be a church that's marked by a culture of disciple-making. And so we've been studying the scriptures and we've been seeking God, we've been talking through things and we're asking the question, how do we create an understandable and accessible pathway for, for people to become disciples that make disciples? And so that's what we're kind of unveiling and trying to march forward with. Like how, do we, how do we make this our culture and primary activity as a church? How do, how do, okay, these, all right, sounds good. How does this happen? We're working on that. We're disclosing that and we're tooling around. But we're convinced of it. We're convinced this is the trajectory of our church. This quote from, from our lead pastor, Ross Parsley, um, he's kind of the, He's the lead pastor of our family of churches. I love, I love him and look up to him. And he says this, I want every person who belongs to one chapel to follow Jesus closely and help others follow Jesus closely. Simple enough, but this is what it's gonna take. And so we're, we're in the process of redefining 
and kind of like contextualizing, like what's the context that we're living in? And so how do we apply the, the truth to our context? We're contextualizing what it means to be a disciple in the 21st century in our region, in Spicewood, Marble Falls, Lakeway, Bee Cave, like all the way to Austin, dripping, all these things. What does it look like in our, in our region? And so we want to see a super bloom happen in our day. Anyone else want to see a super bloom happen? I know I do. In our places of work, you know, online even, in our future, definitely in our families, in our marriages. And so we're taking our values. We're, I've talked about values. We talk about it all the time. Our values are presence, relationship, and mission, right? And I love these. I, I think, like, this is one of the things that drew Rachel and I to, to One Chapel, when, you know, a year and a half ago, where just the essence of what matters most, what sits at the center of, of this church, and, I, and it's presence. And just to be clear, presence is God, right? It is his Holy Spirit. It's his nearness. It's not just like ethereal force. It's him and his closeness. And then relationship, everything happens in relationship, and then mission. So we're stripping these things down to its most important elements, and then we're trying to reevaluate some of our tactics, like with the things we do, right? Our programs and stuff like that, and our strategies on how to make disciples right here and right now. And so we also have this model. You might have heard of it. This is our, our, um, our vision, I guess you can say. We have our values and, our, and our, vis- our vision. We help people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. And so we're, we're tooling with that, but still underneath that is like this idea that action, that faith needs to be actionable, right? We need to actively express our faith and that we can't do life together and we can't do discipleship. We can't grow as the people of God in a static environment. It's partly what's so terrible about the desert, right? Just things aren't moving. And so we have to move and we have to express our faith in action. So our vision and our, our values are good. And so, however, we're trying to focus our attention. I'm trying to disclose all this so that we can go together on this journey. And so we're trying to focus on the most important building block of all of them. It's that we are the people of God and that we are disciples. Disciple making is sort of like the I'm looking, I'm kind of like taking this diamond of disciple making. I'm trying to look at all the different angles. So this is why we're just, we're like walking around. What is so significant about this? Well, disciple making is the engine, so to speak, that makes the church go and grow. This is the nature of disciple making. And if we create a consistent culture of disciple making, growth and life-giving relationships and a thriving campus, will be an overflow. So we're trying to reemphasize what's most important. You know, if we're real though, if we're like, okay, this is, here's, here's some vision, here are some of the plans that we have, and then it's like, okay, let's get, let's get real for a sec. There are challenges to this. Many, many challenges to this. Change is super hard. Change is, is wicked hard, right? Creating a discipleship culture won't, won't come. It just like we have to kind of come to grips with it. It won't come. We won't be able to cultivate it without kind of facing some strongholds. Everyone say stronghold. stronghold. And, and enduring some struggles, as they say. Some struggles. But that's okay, right? It's okay. Living 
part of just like growing up is realizing like, okay, I'm just gonna grow my capacity to suffer a little bit. <laughs> like it sounds like just terrible, but at the same time, once we come to grips with that, you can kind of come alive. And so we're growing in our capacity to suffer, but still find the delight and joy of the Lord. And it's a journey, it's not a destination exactly, it's more of a journey that we do together. And so we're living in this journey. And we know if you've been living this, this life, this journey for any length of time, you know that it's marked by, by missteps and by successes and then failures, detours everywhere, some success, more failures. And then we just, the thing is we just press on. We just keep pressing on by the grace of God. This is the, the, the motif, the theme of the scriptures. We stay faithful, we trust in God through it all. Aren't you, aren't you just grateful for God's grace, though? <laughs> I know I am. Like, just the, the reality that he is washing all of our sin just right off. The reality that he's just cleansing you and unlocking you from, from strongholds and from addictions and from your past and from hurts. That he's giving you forgiveness so that you can give away forgiveness so that you can walk in freedom. These are all like kind of like the activity of grace. And not only that, not only does it like cleanse us from, from death and from sin and things like that, but it also energizes us. It's a power that fuels our Christian life. I'm so grateful for God's grace. I need it. And so God knows that he need, we need this grace. So he sent his son to live for us. How many of you guys know that Jesus lived for you? If you believe in Jesus and you've given him your allegiance and he's your savior and Lord, he lived for you. And so your life is his life. So his faithfulness to the Father is your faithfulness to the Father. He fulfilled the law perfectly. And so he has the reward of the covenant. And when we put our faith in him, you have that. It was like you lived the law perfectly. And so you're an heir to all of the blessings that is owed to Jesus. You're, a, you're joint with the Messiah for all of the blessings of creation. And not only did he live our life, he died our death and, our, and suffered the penalty of all of our corruption and our sin and our selfishness and our rebellion. And he died and took it all on the cross for us. He's given us so much for us to step into everything that he has for us. And he also, he's, he just continues to remind me of his grace. As I was kind of like praying through this and writing this, I was just like struck by this beautiful thread of God's grace in my life and in your life. And he knows that we need it because, like I said, there are some challenges. There are just challenges to trying to start a, a disciple-making kind of initiative and movement that are inherent in our culture. It's just like, it's part of the infrastructure of our culture that we have to overcome. And we believe that, that God is calling us to be really intentional about kind of being strategic to overcome these things and practicing the ways of Jesus together. And this is what the series is all about and this initiative and the shift in our church is all about. But there are some legitimate cultural challenges. And so I want to list a few. Another way to call these cultural challenges is really like enemies of our faith. <laughs> They're enemies of our faith that, are, that, we, that we face in this cultural hour. And so let's just list them off. 
You guys with me? Yes. Let's just lift them off, list them off. The first one is, is unhealthy busyness. Unhealthy business, just don't have time. <laughs> just don't have time. You know, the most precious commodity in our culture is what? Time. And this brings us back to uh, the very first teaching in, in our year, in January, if you guys were with us. And it was about unhurrying our life, right? And I found that it really resonated with me, and it really resonated with many of you guys. It's like, yeah, I live just way too fast. I'm hurried. I'm anxious. I got too much on my plate. And, it's, and it suffocates our spirituality, and it sabotages our faith. And so that's, that, that still is a force, a negative force, an enemy of our faith that still stands today. And so for us to step into everything that we, we are called into, you know, as a, as a people of God, we must unhurry our life and we must unhurry our schedule. And we need to reprioritize and reorganize our life around what matters most. There's a, this key quote um, from theologian and, and uh, hero of mine, Dallas Willard. He says this, hurry, can also, another moniker is unhealthy busyness. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. You know, most of us, we just live too busy with the wrong stuff to see any change happen in our life and see the kingdom come. Next is, is a consumer-based mentality. Okay, I, I hear that, but what's in it for me, right? So this is a self-focused approach to Christianity, which if you think about it is like just incredibly ironic because Christianity is not self-focused at all. And so when we are living our Christian life in a self-focused way, the fact is we're not actually living Christianity. But so much of the church, and even in my own life, I catch myself sip, slipping into this consumer-based mentality. What's in it for me? The next one is convenience orientation, being convenience-oriented. This is, this is too hard for me, right? It's, like a, it's a lifestyle of, of ease and comfort, and if you've felt that, most of us have. It's okay. But we have been listening to a lie from advertising and from our culture it's to sell stuff. And so we import that into our Christianity and think that Christianity should be like that, but it's not. Have you seen our Savior? <laughs> He's the suffering servant. Next is this, this other challenge. And by the way, the practicals for this is let's not do these things. <laughs> let's not do these things. Let's confront these challenges and let's not blindly follow into these, these strongholds. The next one is a segmented lifestyle. It's like, I, I, already have, I already have relationships. I don't need more community. I got, I'm full, right? Segmented lifestyle. And so many of us, some of us don't have friends, and we need friends. I'll be your friend. But there's also many of us who are like, I already have my friend group. I'm good. I don't need any more. But the thing is, if we're honest, how much of those friendships are actually helping you grow to be like Jesus? I think a lot of our friendships are actually quite shallow, if I can be so bold. And the last one, or the next one, is, is a discipleship, is discipleship baggage. It's like, I'm not really into that kind of thing. I, I just like, this is, that's, all right, that's your version. It's like discipleship baggage. And so people have their own view of what discipleship is. And again, it's like this, it's, the, the thing is like, we want to import all of our trauma into our future 
based on certain words or ideas, and we end up sabotaging our faith as well. And so maybe you have experienced church hurt, and I'm, I'm so sorry. Like my heart actually breaks, and I've, I have too. I think that's part of why God even gave us this assignment to love you and serve you and pastor this church is because we have experienced trauma and you know, abuse, spiritual abuse as well. But we can't import that into the scriptures and we can't, we can't let that overlay what God has for us. And so I validate that, I walk through that with you. There's a healing plan for you, but we, we have to stay innocent in our view of discipleship. And so these are strongholds that we need to surrender and demolish. I like that language, demolish, or like ruthlessly eliminate. You have to be almost militant against these things. It's, we can't be passive in our, in our hour. We'll be washed away by our society. And so we need to surrender and demolish these things in the name of Jesus. I, I, this passage came in my heart during our prayer meeting on Wednesday. It's from 2 Corinthians chapter 10. In verse one, it says this. Oh man, I love this passage. By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold towards you when away. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Whew. That is a passage for us. I'm call Gabrielle up. We're going to move to a close here. What is God asking us to step into? What's the invitation here? In this passage, he's, he's inviting us to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. I promise you, church, if we begin to do this, it will transform your life. This is how we engage and overcome the challenges and strongholds. And we'll continue to talk about the challenges. I've, I've voiced a lot of these challenges and we'll continue to talk about them and unpack them and maybe give some more practicals. And I have, I have some, more, um, some more points, but as I was praying last night and even this morning, I felt like God was just shifting something. And I think I didn't write this um, on my list, but I feel like another central challenge to becoming a disciple-making culture and to see the life of flourishing that we really long for, quite honestly, is just a lack of faith. I think it's unbelief, if I can just look it in the eye. And so I feel like the Lord is saying like, I have what you're looking for. I, give, I can give you the power to put blinders on on all the things that distract you and rob you. I have the power to suffocate all the anxiety that you're dealing with. I can override all of the unbelief with belief. And so I think I just wanna spend the rest of our time together. I got some good points, but maybe we'll save them for another time. I think really what I wanna harp on 
what I believe the Lord wants to harp on is he wants to give you a download of his love, of his hope. He wants to empower you to trust him in all of this. And I think that there's a lot of things that are sort of intellectual. I don't know how you're processing all of this stuff and you're like computing it. And I don't want to just be too intellectual. I want it to be spiritual, holistic. And because that's what it means to really be alive. And so I feel like God wants to impart his faith to us. How many of you guys know that God's been faithful to you? He's been faithful over the generations. For hundreds and hundreds, thousands and thousands of years, God is faithful in the midst of our rebellion. Oh my gosh, he's faithful. And so out of his faithfulness, he pours out faith. So what I would love for us to do, we're gonna, we're gonna um, go into some worship in a moment. And we're also gonna take communion during that worship song. And I just believe that where there is dry places, there is corners of your heart that are super dry. And I feel like God wants to pour out rain. He wants to bring honey out of the rock in your life. He wants to provide living water. Last night I was, um, I was just praying and working through my message and just working through it. Lord, what are you up to? And the well had been, had uh, broke down and there was no water coming in and I was just kind of stressing about that, trying to figure it out. And I was listening to a message um, by Michael Colionos. I don't know if you've known, you know him. Um, interesting guy, but like full of faith. And he was telling a story about how he was at this old preacher's office. And then he, the, the preacher got a phone call from his wife and his wife was saying, honey, you gotta, you gotta pray. There's a storm and hail coming your way. And so the, the, the preacher got up and he just like sprang out of his chair and he just started rebuking the, the storm. <laughs> and I don't know if, you, if you're familiar with that, but I'm not really, but Jesus did it, right? He calmed the storm. And so this, this preacher's calmed the storm. He's just like, like, just cancel this storm. And I'm just like, this is so silly, but there's something in my heart that was really being stirred up, church. And right at that time, at that moment, I had the faucet open into my bathroom and the water just started pouring out. Like right then I was like, God, what you doing right now? Are you doing something? You want me to, you want me to step into faith. I don't understand this stuff. Storm, stop, right? but he wants faith. This is what our father is after. This might be too much information, but later I was, I was showering and I had to use a bucket. <laughs> and then I was praying and I was like, Lord, I just, I surrender everything. And I, I want our church to be people of faith. I wanna have faith for this shift. Would you pour out your rain? And the faucet just started pouring. I was like, the, the timing is so good. <laughs> Lord, is this a coincidence? Like, this can't be a coincidence. And it was like the best shower. It was like the most cool. I was like, oh my gosh, Lord, thank you. I will be obedient. We need faith. <laughs> God wants to pour out his living water. But it's gonna take faith. We can put all the strategies. We can implement all of the, the maneuvering, but he needs our faith. If you agree with that, would you say amen? Amen. Amen. So let's just send, spend a moment here and just ask the Holy Spirit to impart the faith 
of Jesus Christ, who took on death and sin. If you need to close your eyes, put your hands out. Lord, we are receptive to the glorious grace that accesses your presence and we receive in faith, faith. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Help us to expect you. So we just speak to our soul. Soul, believe in God. We speak to each other, believe in God. And it's more than just a worldview. It is, it is a deep spiritual certainty that God will bring out all of his promises in our day. A super bloom will take place. Revival and renewal will take place. And so, Lord, would you build the infrastructure necessary to outpour what you want to outpour and do it first in our own hearts. And so those who are dealing with doubt, those who are dealing with skepticism, those who are just dealing with church hurt, would you come and invade those places? And just like during worship, we open our hearts to you. We open our hearts to you. So would you pour out your faith right now? Let's just receive for a moment.